Welcome to the Present Fathers Podcast. Our guest in this episode is Nick Lavery. He is a proud husband and father to two young sons. He is also considered the first Special Forces operator to return to combat as an above-the-knee amputee. In 2013, Nick and his detachment were attacked by a partner force in what is referred to as a green-on-blue attack. The attacker used a belt-fed machine gun called a PKM and opened fire on U.S. troops, initiating a complex ambush. Nick sustained an estimated six rounds to his right leg, leaving it completely mangled and shattered. Nick was losing vast amounts of blood, and he was convinced that he was going to die. Through the screams and the chaos, he knew that the outlook was grim. Miraculously, Nick survived this harrowing incident. The details of his incredible story are contained within this episode. This attack is considered to date the worst ever insider attack in the global war on terror era. Join us as we extract the wisdom from Nick's hard-earned lessons on life, leadership, resilience, and most importantly, fatherhood. I was wounded three times in this deployment. 12 U.S. casualties total. Three of which were killed. Belt-fed machine gun. It's a powerful weapon system. That thing can do work out to five, six hundred meters all day long, and it can chew vehicles to shit. It can chew people to shit. I treated myself initially with a series of tourniquets. I would eventually treat myself with what's known as an internal pressure dressing. He showed up eventually. I'd already put two tourniquets on, and he got there. And the look on his face confirmed what I already knew to be Mm. true. Like, this is Mm. where it ends. Emotional regulation may be the differentiator. Zoom out, extract from that, be able to make a logical decision. And more often than not, logic and emotion are antagonistic of each other. Nick Lavery, welcome to the Present Fathers podcast. Uh, it's a privilege and an honor to, to be here with you. I'm super excited today, so welcome. Likewise, man. I appreciate it, guys. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. So uh, just for those listening, uh, this is a special occasion for us because we're in studio. I'm joined with Brandon, my co-host, finally face-to-face with Nick Lavery. So let me um, high-level summary your your bio just to level set for the audience, and then we'll dive into the conversation. So you're first and foremost a husband and a father of two young boys, you're the founder and CEO of Precision Components, LLC, where you and your team, Team Machine, train, advise, enable, and inspire organizations and individuals to unlock capacity and increase capability. You are also the best-selling author of Objective Secure, the battle-tested guide to goal achievement, and just a few of your awards from the military, a silver star, three purple hearts, three bronze stars, and a bronze star with a V for valor. So uh, really, really mediocre resume there so. <laughs> yeah just get warmed up bro <laughs> just get warmed up. that's it yeah so nick um obviously you've got a pretty incredible story with what you went through in afghanistan on deployment um i'd like to talk a little bit about that for the audience to, to gain some of the lessons from that but what we really want to get towards is nick the father and the lessons that you've learned throughout life in the military and how you've applied it into being the best dad possible great um, so why don't we just start at a high level um talk about Really quickly, kind of like how you got in the military, mm-hmm. becoming a Green Beret, and then we'll get to that to that fateful deployment where you experienced this. Yeah, man. So my interest in the military started when I was in high school. Okay. And 
the reason for it, it's interesting, and it catches people off guard. They see me, they see the cover of the book, they see the cool guy, like right. this like superhero, and this is just the way I've been my whole life. Nothing's farther <laughs> from the truth. Exactly. I began looking at the military because of this massive void I had in me. Mm. And I was really yearning for strength. I was yearning to be respected. I okay. grew up a small, believe it or not, insecure, scared kid mm. who was the new kid in school every single year. All the way up until eventually I got to college. That's hard. Yeah. A young person. You know, bullying today is taken much more seriously Mm -hmm. than it was back then. You know, back when I was a kid, it was just kind of part of being a kid. Yeah. Yeah. So I wanted to be strong. I wanted to be feared, Mm -hmm. really. Because I had lived so much of my life on the other end of that spectrum. I wanted to know the opposite. Yeah. And I felt becoming a member of the military could maybe give me that. Mm -hmm. It's like kind of a game plan. Only that stopped that from becoming real was I started getting recruited to play football. In college. Okay. So, you know, I, I was decent enough in athletics and I really excelled in football. So that only reason why I went to school gotcha. was, was for football. I was a horrible <laughs> academic. I did the bare minimum to skate by. But I was decent in sports. So went to school for football primarily. And then my sophomore year, I just turned 19 years old, was 9-11. And, okay. you know, it's one of those moments where as long as you were old enough – to appreciate the gravity mm-hmm. of what was going on around you, it's likely a moment that you will oh, never yeah. forget. Yeah. Where you were, maybe even what you were wearing, who you were with, yep. right? Like that level of detail. Yeah, I, I remember so the whole day. Yeah. So that was the catalyst for me. And I really struggled to stay in school beyond that. Okay. Uh, ultimately decided to stay and I grinded out my degree and then began looking at options to enter the military after okay. I graduated. And I felt like I wanted to go into special operations. At a minimum, I felt like my physical attributes sure. could be utilized in that capacity. But more so than that, man, it was I wanted to make as much of a difference as one person could make. Right. This was not intended to be a career yeah. or a lifestyle. This right. was get in, get to the tip of the spear, kick some ass, get some justice, get out and figure out what I want to do with gotcha. the rest of my life. Okay. That was it, man. So becoming a member of special operations was was the way I felt I could do that. And I didn't know much about the military. You know, my parents weren't in the military. Yeah. Um, so I started doing some research, like, what do the Navy SEALs do? What do the Green mm-hmm. Berets do? Aside from movies and books, I really right. had no idea. So I needed to educate myself, which I did. And ultimately, I landed on the Army because it gave me not only the fastest route to get into special operations by virtue of a special forces contract right. option known as an 18 X-ray yep. contract. Um, but I was also drawn to unconventional warfare as I began to read yeah. and learn about what Green Berets do, aside from John Wayne and Rambo, what they really do. <laughs> right. I was like, yeah. oh, you know what? This actually is is tickling something in my mm-hmm. heart. So that was the route I went. Can, um, I, can I interrupt you real yeah, quick? Please. And can you just define what the mission of the Green Berets are? Because I think a lot of people may not actually be aware of that. Yeah, it's a good question. Uh, so our primary mission is that of unconventional warfare, which is a – is a sexy term, and you can Google the definition, and there's a lot of buzzwords that right. jump out in there. You start to go into these rabbit holes. It gets quite complex mm-hmm. quite quickly. Uh, but the major component of that are the two terms with and through, and yeah. that's really what I Green Berets that. do. Green Berets work with and through indigenous personnel to achieve a mission. That is the differentiator between Green Berets and the other elements of the military. Yeah. Now, we don't exclude – we're not the only unit – 
that works, quote, bilaterally with right. and through. But that is we are it's built your core specifically mission, your right, core purpose to yeah. do that, which is why unconventional warfare is kind of at the top. And then you've got all these other mission sets or core tasks that we're expected to do sure. foreign internal defense, counterterrorism, direct action. Right. But we perform those other mission sets by virtue of with and through. Right. So really when you break down what a Green Beret is or what an ODA does, a fancy acronym for a team, while we are warfighters and warriors and we jump out of planes and we break down doors and shoot bad guys in the face and we do all the cool guy movie stuff, yep. Green Berets are teachers, we're advisors, and we solve complex problems. Right. That's really it. Yep. I've, I've had the privilege of not only just working with, in a military capacity, several Green Berets, but knowing them outside the uniform too and it's you guys definitely have uh there's a character about green berets that it's kind of an intangible thing but i think that with and through kind of ethos shows up everyone i've met at least Mm -hmm. has has kind of had that aura about them and especially too like in where they've trained me right they've given me training or coaching it's just very evident that that is something you guys not only enjoy doing but you're very good at doing Mm -hmm. and um and I think there's a lot of lessons that we can take from that outside of the military application Absolutely. of it yep. to where as men, we can take our gifts and strengths and pay it forward by investing it, having that willing heart to coach and train and mentor right. to those who are willing to receive right. and, and maybe have the capability to do more. Cause, right. So I, maybe you can just take a quick tangent on that. How have you applied all of those lessons to the other aspects of your life? Man, pretty much throughout all the other aspects of my life. Okay. And the one thing that comes to mind as you ask that, because I could take this in probably a hundred different directions. The one that comes to mind is humility. Mm-hmm. It's humility, man, which is a powerful term yeah. and a weapon yeah. for those of us that choose to deploy it. An sure. offensive weapon yeah. is humility. Mm-hmm. And like you know, that. me as this 24 year old, you know, combatives, MMA football player, athlete, go through all this advanced training two plus years, get to the teams, get into Afghanistan, get to work. Like I'm the man, right? Mm -hmm. I'm the man. I'm here and you're going to do what I tell you to do because I know what's right and you don't. Mm -hmm. And you're going to listen. And as long as you listen to what I say, we're going to win. That that, that was my mentality. Mm -hmm. And that's probably the mentality of most young special operations operators. You can't blame them for that. Type A personalities with a lot of advanced training and a lot of capability. Yeah. I mean, you feel very confident. 100%. You know? And I learned very quickly that while I have all this knowledge and these special skills and I can do a bunch of things, I found myself learning from not only my teammates, which I learned from constantly, 24-7, but also those that I was there to advise. And here's where the power comes in, is regardless of how great you are, your skill set, what you can do, humility is a sustain. It's a constant. So even though I'm there to advise you and lead you and influence Mm -hmm. you and so we can create effects together – I'm going to learn from you and it's going to make us better. I think that that's probably one of, if not the greatest takeaways from what I've extracted from life as a green beret. Because for one, it was just such a massive shift for me from this like hyper confident, borderline cocky, borderline arrogant Mm -hmm. place that I was at to say, Whoa, this is completely inaccurate for one. And then two, seeing the effects of, Going in there with that humility mm. and, and, op- and and weaponizing and operationalizing it to for the for the sake of the mission. Man, that's powerful. That's a it's a great reminder, I think, too, for for men in general. Right? We want to feel powerful. We want to feel capable and dangerous, and all you know, pick the words. 
and if we pause and allow humility to have a place, um, it's also it 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 disarms the tension for between the people you're trying to lead sure. anyway. But man, what what a powerful example of how important it is. So let's get back uh, to working towards where the green on blue attack happened. Um, what what number deployment was that for you? And then I guess just set the stage for for how that actually occurred. Yeah, so this was my third trip into Afghanistan. This was okay. in the fall of 2012. We okay. infilled in September, and we were set to come out in April. So six-month okay. deployment, April of 2013. We yep. were going to be replaced. And I was wounded three times in this deployment. You mentioned three Purple Hots. Those yeah. were all awarded to me during the same deployment. Wow, jeez. So the first one was pretty quick. We'd only been on the ground for a few weeks. I took some grenade shrapnel to the back of my shoulder. It really wasn't that big of a deal, man. I mean, it blew like a lemon-sized hole in me, but some gauze and ace bandage, <laughs> really, that's that's all it took, you know? Yeah. Um, about six or so weeks after that was when I was wounded for the second time. I took an AK-47 round of the face. Maybe you can see the sky. Yeah. They did a pretty good job yeah. with it. I had the ideal human on the ground to take care of me. It was a Army Reserve trauma doc, so a reservist. Yep. In his full-time life... He's a plastic, plastic surgeon. surgeon. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Just happened to get this guy. Yeah, man. That's so. that's wild. It, it, I mean, so I'm in the guard and that's I've found that there's there's a surprising upside to the reserve component Absolutely. where a lot of these guys and gals have outside experience that they're able to just pour in. So it's not, you know, I used to make fun of the guard too when I was active duty and anyway, yeah. what what an incredible turn of events that that's the guy who was there for you. Yeah, go you know? figure. So um and then fast forward to March of 2013. And those that I just lost, March is the month that comes after February. I know I got the, the Boston accent, so half the audience is like, what did he just say? <laughs> Let's clarify where, where we are within time and space. That's so great. it's March of 2013, and uh, we only got a you know a couple, two, three weeks left. And then uh, we had that insider attack, so yeah. the, the green on blue incident. And kind of just the wave tops was we were set to go on an operation, meeting a partner force at our camp. Uh, dude jumped up on the back of a Ford Ranger pickup truck that had a PKM mm. mounted to it and just what's, unloaded. What's, sorry, what's a PKM? Sorry, good question. It's a it's a belt fed machine gun, Russian made belt fed machine gun, seven point wow. six two millimeter. Yeah, I so by wow. what? By fifty four rimmed. It's a yeah. it's a powerful weapon system. That thing can do work out to five six hundred meters yep. all day long, and it can chew vehicles to shit. It can chew people to shit. Uh, this was about thirty feet away, so uh, catastrophic at that range. Yeah, yeah. man. You know, so twelve U.S. casualties total, Damn. three of which were killed. Uh, myself and another eight wounded, varying degrees, and most of the damage to me obviously was to my right leg. I took estimated maybe five or six rounds to my right leg, which just it just decimated it. Yeah, um, looked more like a like a shot got a hold of it and just like ripped mm. it to shreds. You know, so dang. I treated myself initially with a series of tourniquets. I would eventually treat myself with what's known as an internal pressure dressing, which is yeah. which is as brutal as it sounds yeah, you, like. You're describing that in the book. I was like, mm. yeah. Yeah, it could make you wince. Yeah, I probably would have died right there. I don't could know make if I have wince. the gut to, I was to make say, that happen. For those that are uh, reading his book, he goes into great detail into a lot of this yeah. stuff, and it's it's an excellent part of the book. So it's it's rough to hear, but it's excellent. Like He actually t- shows how he saved his own life and then had his, his comrades save his life as well. So. Well, and I want to, if you can just real quickly, you talk about, or I've heard you talk about that part where you were so convinced you were dead oh, yeah. that you were like ordering the deltas, the, the medics, to just just leave me, bro. Get to the, those who need it more. 
Like, yeah. can you just talk through, like, in that exact moment? <laughs> I mean, like, were you, were you just in pure adrenaline, or did you actually have presence of mind? Or Certainly adrenaline, um, but I do feel like I was pretty aware of what was going on. Wow. And uh, the dude that got to me, he wasn't actually wasn't one of our medics. Oh, okay, so he's just a teammate. A teammate. Okay. Uh, technically an attachment. His name's Jason, an attachment, but he had been with us since even before we deployed. Gotcha. So very okay. much a teammate. Gotcha. And a stud. He showed up eventually. I'd already put two tourniquets on, and he got there, and the look on his face confirmed what I already knew to be mm. true. Like, this is mm. where it ends, you know? Um, prior to this, I had been on both sides of what we call triage. Yep. Which, those that are unfamiliar, when you're dealing with a mass casualty scenario, multiple people that are injured, mm-hmm. we categorize them based off of the. Severity. Degree of injury, likelihood of survivability, right. and the resources we have to treat all of them. Yep. Sure. It's it's a cold calculus. It's brutal. Yeah. yeah, it's brutal. And the the fire end of that is known as the expectant category. So right. these are those that are almost certainly going to die. Byron, some sort of miracle, they likely will, will die. So mm-hmm. as a person who's applying aid, you do not invest – moments or resources on expecting categories, right. patience, unless or until you work through the other priorities. Yep. And then you can do what you can. Sure. Yep. Right. I had been on both sides of that equation and that decision-making process prior to this event. And I can assure you that it is one of the most difficult protocols to adhere to. Yeah. Yeah. When you got some of your friends that are right, laying your there. brothers. I mean, these are your brothers. brothers fighting yeah. alongside with, right. You know, dying or, or yeah. moving in that direction, asking yeah. for help, scared, in pain, and you ignore that to be able to work on the, those that are deemed a higher priority. Mm-hmm. Really yeah. difficult to do. Right. So in my mind, when Jason gets to me, I've already put myself in that expecting category. Sure. Right. So he gets to me, and he's, I can see him thinking through, what, uh, what do I do here? And he begins to like take action, and I'm trying to make that decision easier for him. Right. Saying, bro, right. I'm not the guy. I'm done. I don't know how many guys are down at this point. There were 11 others that were down, yeah. but I can hear the screams. Like The chaos is going on. There are bodies everywhere. I know I'm going to die. I know others need aid that are almost certainly a higher priority. Mm. So I'm trying to help him make that really hard choice. Yeah. Mm. And he essentially ignored me. He put on another tourniquet, and he got IV access okay. for blood or meds that may need to come on board. Sure. And at that point, he was pretty much at the end of his medical capacity. So right. we said a quick goodbye, and, and he moved on. Thank you, man. <clears throat> well, it's, uh, again, trying to draw the lesson from that. Most of us probably will never be in a similar situation, but prioritizing in those critical moments, whatever the event may be, is leadership, right? So you, you provided leadership, even though you were the casualty to your, to your friend in that sense. And I think for those of us who won't be in that same situation, that's probably one of the lessons we, we can draw out of that mm-hmm. is to, in stressful, critical situations, pare down to what is absolutely essential and go work towards those things first because, uh, you know, it's a proven process, right? So, Yeah, and not to go too deep down the same rabbit hole, George, you're yeah. taking us on, but you know, emotional regulation. Yep. Yeah. That's what it is. Definitely. And, and, and Absolutely. we can talk about just using special operations as an example. Yeah. How fast you can run two miles, your, how fast, you know, what your max deadlift is, what your shot group looks like, all these, like, performance metrics. Mm-hmm which are part of us and our ability to perform a service. Sure. Emotional regulation may be the differentiator between elite performers, high performers, regardless of the sector you're in or profession you're in. Yeah. 
and everybody else. The ability to recognize the emotion that mm-hmm. is running through you because that's part of being a human being. I don't care certainly what you do or how yeah. you do it. It's part of being a human being. Recognize yeah. what it is. Be able to gain king control of that. Zoom out. Extract from that to be able to make a logical decision. And more often than not, logic and emotion are antagonistic of each other. Yeah. It's really difficult to make a logical decision in times in times of high emotion. Right. So that is an example I like to pull out from that event as well. It's Not good. just for me, but for, for Jason and for the others that were responding to countless high-stress variables that right. are coming in every millisecond to be able to extract from that emotion to be able to make a logical and objective decision. Yeah, That's great. It's a beautiful point. Um, okay, so you do survive this. We'll, we'll leave a lot of the details to the book. And cool. you've, sure. you've talked in a million times elsewhere, but... Uh, you were literally on the verge of death. I think they even gave you like a, the wrong blood transfusion on the flight or something, yep. but yep. against all the odds you survived. Mm-hmm. Right. So now you're, I assume back home in Walter Reed mm-hmm. recovering and like, I guess just what was the initial recovery process like? And we'll get into kind of your mental state. How did you unpack all this? How did you eventually, you know, release this mm-hmm. difficult thing? Let's work towards that. In yeah. Your story. So, um, Walter Reed, I was in the intensive care unit for, I don't know, six or seven weeks, mostly battling infection. Okay. So infection had set in and it was just chewing my leg to pieces Mm -hmm. and it it can kill you. Yeah. So uh, my journey began as me in surgery two to three, sometimes four times a week. They were just incrementally amputating my leg higher and higher and just cutting out infection and rotted tissue and dead Mm. muscle and infected bone. So in surgery, wake up, a little less leg, rinse, repeat over and over and over and over and over again. Jeez. Ended up being about, I don't know, 35, 37 or so surgeries on my right leg. So that was kind of the initial part of that. Um, There's a story I like to share during this phase because it highlights an important point here. And I knew from that point in the intensive care unit, and I'm whacked out. I'm on ketamine and Dilaudid, and <laughs> right. I had a surgery. I got, like, pink leprechauns zipping through my room. And I was like, I'm on a lot of drugs. Yeah. I barely know where I am. But I'm I'm cognizant enough to have a appreciation of the gravity of my injury. Mm. Like, I know my leg's slowly disappearing. Right, right. But it was at that point that I made the decision that I would go back to the team. I would go back to doing what I do. That, wow. that was there. And I use the word decision. I almost use it loosely because I almost didn't really even see an alternative option for me. You're fully committed to it. That's it. It was like, your only option. This is not just what I do, but this is who I am. Mm-hmm. And my interpretation of that has changed over the last decade. Sure. But at that point, this is who I am. This is what I was put on planet Earth to do. There is no alternative. There's no plan B. There's no contingency. Yeah. This is it. So I was able to decide the what... I'm going to do right there and then I hadn't a clue as to how, but that's a different question. It's yeah, a very different question. It is. I think a lot of people get stuck, whether it's on the back end of a traumatic event or just a bad day or week or year, figuring out what am I going to do? Asking himself that question. What am I going to do? And when you can answer that and define it, even though it may change, it allows you to proceed all energy and effort to how entirely different question. Now we're just trying to solve an equation, right? And there is a, there is a way to solve it. Yep. It's a series of variables, and slowly over time, they become constants, and yeah. you plug and plug and plug and plug. That's so so good, my man. mind was made up then, and there's a story I like to share that kind of highlights this, and I had only been in the intensive care for maybe two or three days. Okay. My mother, my father, my sister, they're there, and 
it's a round robin of medical professionals coming in, like right. nonstop, round the clock, boom, boom, boom. And all of a sudden, at one point, I look up and there's a bunch of people wearing black suits in my room <laughs> and all around the room. And I'm like, this is new. And then in walks the first lady. <laughs> at the time, was Michelle Obama. Okay. And even on all the ketamine, there's no mistaking Michelle Obama. Very recognizable person. Right. Um, and almost like this aura around her. Again, I'm on a lot of meds, but this is like what I remember. <laughs> I knew right away who it was. Right. And I'm like, oh, wow, okay. This is this makes sense. The Secret Service everywhere, and yeah. I got it. And she comes in, and she walks up bedside to me, and she's talking to me, and I'm basically just mumbling nothingness back to her. Right. You know, But I could sense her genuine caring mm. in that moment. So she kind of shifted off of me because I was making precisely zero sense. And she's talking to my parents. And they're having a quick conversation. And, and all of a sudden, I interrupt her. And I go, ma'am, I need you to do me a favor. And I said it clear enough where she almost like – It was disarming. Was startled. Yeah. Like, right. oh, my gosh. She just said something that I understood. So she hones back in on me, and she kind of leans down. She's a foot away from my face. And I said, uh, I need you to – tell your husband something i need you to tell him that i'm still an asset that i will be back and don't give up on me mm-hmm. and there's this pause in the room and she starts crying mm-hmm. so she's crying my mother starts crying i think the secret <laughs> service agents were crying it's like this emotional yeah. yeah moment that's going on i was dead serious this was not a sympathy play. I simply saw this as a strategic opportunity yeah. to get a message you're, you're to pi- the guy. You're pitching yourself, yeah. So that's it. I get a message <laughs> to the guy. And well, if he's going to listen to anybody, perhaps it's his wife. Right. right. So, yeah. you know, I just use that as an example um, to just kind of describe my mentality at that time. Yeah. Even though it was really early on and I had a long road, the decision was made then. That's incredible. I, as you were saying that I'm already relating it to my own life and where I'm at right now. And I've made the decision. I have to figure out the how it's a great distinction about you have to decide for yourself what your, you know, that mission. Right. And then figure it out because otherwise you'll just be stuck forever. You'll just stay trying to figure out, well, what do I do? Where do I go? And mm-hmm. if you have no guiding light, you're sure. never going to get there. So amazing, man. Um, I, to piggyback off of like having important people come by through the book, one of the things that really stuck out to me in your recovery process was, um, you know, you'd have generals or someone come in to the care facility and the nurses like could care less about who this person was or how important they were because they were so committed to your recovery and the other recovery, you know, those recovering that any, any unnecessary distraction was completely cut from the, uh, experience. Right. And so these people who are usually used to having all this, pomp and circumstance wherever they go right it was basically snubbed um and i forget the specifics in in the book about it but it really just stuck out to me that where in our lives do we need to really stay that committed to the focus and i guess if you want to just expand upon that uh, experience through the recovery process rehab and everything yeah i i describe walter reed as the greatest place on earth that you never want to see <laughs> <laughs> because if you're there, yeah. it's likely under some unfortunate circumstances. Right. Aside from you being stationed there, and that's just where you work. Sure. But sure. for the majority of us, family, patients, it's a, it's usually on the back end of, of something negative having happened. Mm-hmm. But it also is a location that, to me, proves that angels exist. Yeah. I mean, these people, 
they do, and they asked for it, but they do some of the most difficult, nasty work daily with a smile on their face, mm. like happy to be there. And when you're laying there as a type A, aggressive, highly confident warfighter, you're used to being the person on the other end of the phone. When there's a problem, Roger that, I'm in route. Yeah. That's just, that's who you are at this point to go to basically being entirely dependent on other people. That in itself is brutal. Mm. Brutal. Yeah. I mean, basic life functions, feeding yourself, bathing yourself, the bathroom. Like you need someone to help you do all these things. Mm. That in itself can crush people. Yeah. That's that humility part you're talking about. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, it's brutal. It's brutal. It's a, it can be a real hard shock to your pride. And that in itself, I think, can spiral down to a to a really sure. dark place. But these uh, these people that work there, man, they uh, they make that much easier for you. Mm. And I can't remember how many times I'd have a nurse or a doc or you know just see me in anguish about what I needed them to help me do or to do for me. Yeah. And not only would they do it, but they'd stop and be like, "Hey, Nick, like this is what we here to do." Mm, they could see yeah. it, you know, and they they take two seconds out of their busy days and be like, we're here to do this. This is what we do. We're glad to be here to do this. This is why we exist. The same reason why you exist to go do what you do. We're here to do this. Yeah. And just those little, like, a little extra coming from them paid just massive dividends. Mm, that's amazing. Yeah. I'd like to unpack the mental a little bit there. And I guess maybe it's a hard thing, too, with... I'm sure there was a lot of anger and frustration from how you got injured, right? It wasn't engaging the enemy. It, it was a partner force turned inward, right? We call it green on blue for those listening. Um, one, can you talk about how the Taliban would basically extort people to do such a thing in the first place? Um, and then your mental process with all of the emotions around that initially and then how you were able to kind of release it and allow forgiveness and, and acceptance of it enter. Sure. And, you know, and this tactic goes back centuries. Oh, I mean, sure. Yeah. It's nothing new conflict. Yeah. Um, Taliban got really great at it. Yeah. And I, I give them credit because they don't want to see us toe to toe on the battlefield. Yeah. You know, that's a, that's a loss 99 times out of a hundred. So yeah. how do you, how do you do it? You know, and the, they're resilient fighters and they're smart fighters yep. and they're tactical fighters going back to, like the dawn of humanity in that era of that area of the world, yeah. they're known for historic resilient fighters. Yeah. And the same exists today. So yeah, they would, you know, they, they, they'd get a hold of someone that they knew had access to us. And in this particular example, it was a member of the Afghan national police force that we had been working with kind of on and off. Okay. Throughout the duration of this deployment. Uh, and about nine guys with AK 47s walk into this guy's house in the middle of the night He's a husband and father to, I think, five kids. And they say, here's your two options. Option A is you do this attack for us. You will be killed for sure. But if you do this, we're going to take care of your family for the rest of their lives. Option B is we brutalize your entire family right now in front of you. And then we slaughter them. And then we slaughter you. Either way, you're dead in this equation. Yeah. But if you choose option A, you get to spare your family. Not only spare them, but they will be taken care of. And they make good on that promise. <clears throat> and that's yeah. what makes that tactic successful is they've, they've built up a degree of credibility yeah. by doing this so many times. And 
that's what the predicament this guy was put into. Yeah. So he did what he did, and it was part of a complex ambush. So when he opened up fire on us, there was about 25 Taliban fighters that had our camp almost entirely surrounded. Gotcha. That all began to engage. It took a couple months before my team eventually got back to the States, and then, of course, they all came to see me at the hospital, and they had gathered a bunch of intel and information mm-hmm. in between to get those details I just shared with you, and you know, they told me that. And up to that point, I was filled with a lot of rage yeah. and anger. Yeah. You know, it's you accept your your potential fate when you decide to go into this profession. Mm-hmm. And if I die on the battlefield, Roger that. I take that on, no problem. Yep. The f- betrayal aspect of it yeah. is brutal. Definitely. It's like, out of all the gunfights I've been in and explosions and multiple, like all the things, it's like, this is how right. I'm going to die in the moment. And then after the fact, like, this is how I lost my leg at, at the hands of someone who I was teaching how to do things. Yeah. yeah. That, that sense of betrayal is tough. Yeah. So I, it was really, it was stewing for, for quite a bit. And then my, and my boys came back and they told me kind of the, the, the details and in that moment, it was like, you know what? I get it. Yeah. yeah. I, I didn't I didn't then have the family I have now, wife and right. kids, but I could empathize with that situation. Certainly. And say, you know what? If I'm you and I'm putting that same predicament without any real practical way to fight back. Right. Now yeah. some hear this and they're like, I just go guns a blazing. They're like, maybe okay. you would, maybe you wouldn't. Okay, tough guy. You know, <laughs> you know hey, you know what? Maybe you would, maybe you wouldn't. Sure. But if it's you, your wife, five young kids, and nine guys with guns, and you're sitting there at your kitchen table unarmed, that probably isn't an option at that point yep. in time. Yeah. Um, but if I'm that guy, I'm doing the exact same thing. Right. I'm doing the exact same thing to be able to spare them. So you know what, bro? I get it. No hot feelings. And it just allowed me to kind of just release that and and move on and then move that focus elsewhere yeah i would imagine that that was an absolutely essential piece of your recovery right i don't oh, yeah. think you would have been able to achieve what you did if you wouldn't have had that emotional release yeah it would have been it would have been tough yeah bitterness is a poison pill for yourself yeah um, yeah yeah 100%. it's powerful though so uh, for those listening i want i want you to draw that out of nick's story it's you know the gunfights and everyone loves the war stories but like that that um again humility to empathize with that man's situation and it's still wrong right but obviously you didn't wish this happened but to to make peace with that is i think something that our culture doesn't practice very often Mm -hmm. anymore and that's something that really stuck out to me hearing your story um because i kind of reflected back on like where in my life am i holding even a little bit of resentment towards someone or something that i need to release Mm -hmm. because it's just a limiting factor um and it just draws it pulls your own life down. It doesn't do anything productive. So now I want, I want to jump on what you just said, man. Yeah. And I'm not breaking your balls. No, it's a phenomenal it. point. You know, when you say like, what this guy did was wrong and it was right around the tail end of this deployment that my, I don't want to say this, my perspective of my adversary began to change. Hmm. And I think this is a, somewhat natural progression as someone that stays in this industry for, for quite some time. Okay. You come in and it's emotionally charged, almost like a degree of hatred mm-hmm. towards your enemy. Yeah. Right. You're evil. I'm good. And I'm going to come serve justice. Yeah. And that aggression and, and emotional charge is what gets you on the bird or gets you on the truck and what you're leveraging when you're going to work. Right. Against the, against the man. 
yeah. against the man. We had been through so much in this deployment, and guys, guys being wounded to varying degrees, a lot of guys losing their lives prior to me being injured mm-hmm. with the leg, that my interpretation began to kind of shift a little bit. And it was, you know what? I believe what I believe, and you believe what you believe. And who's to say which one is right or wrong? In like the grand scheme of things. Like right. if you really zoom like way out, I have my beliefs, you have your beliefs. You're willing to stick to your beliefs to your own death, as am I. Mm. We're both here to conduct business, and let's just see who has the better day today. <laughs> that began to be more of my mentality okay. when I was getting on the trucks or getting on the bird to go to work that day or that afternoon or that night. It was less emotion and less visceral hatred towards mm-hmm. the human and more of a spiritual or higher degree uh, understanding of just our chosen professions and yeah. our chosen lifestyles. You know, they say like one man's freedom fighter is another man's terrorist. And it just depends on your vantage point. Yeah, that's and we true. have eyes and we're Americans and red, white, and blue. And I live and breathe that daily. So I get it. But it was kind of towards the tail end of this deployment that I started to have maybe a deeper understanding or just a more zoomed out understanding, depending on how you want to kind of yeah. look at it. So I was moving in that direction, which I think okay. helped me get to that kind of forgiveness and empathy yeah. stage of this particular incident. Okay. That's fair. I, I received that, uh, I guess, correction or, um, you know, and it, obviously now we're post the, you know, the kind of fall of Afghanistan, if you will, mm-hmm. the whole withdrawal and everything. And it's a very conflicting topic. So sure. it's hard to use the right words about it if you've been there. Um, but yeah, I, that what you're just talking about right now, I probably need to reevaluate my own experiences about that and separate the emotion from what it was. Cause I mean, I'm sure to them I was the invader, you know? Yeah. More um, than likely. Yeah. So. Hey there, we hope you're enjoying this episode of the present father's podcast. Our mission is to reach as many men as possible and equip them to be excellent family leaders. We believe that by inspiring and equipping men, we can change bloodlines and positively impact our culture. You can join us on this mission and partner with us today by doing one of two things. First, go to your favorite podcast platform, whether that's YouTube videos or Apple or Spotify, Google, etc., and leave us a review. The way the algorithm works is that it really values reviews, and this helps promote our stories to get them out to more people. The second way you can help is by sharing your favorite episodes with friends and family. Help us get the word out so that we can make a difference in our culture. Thank you for watching, and we hope that you join us in our mission to change lives. That's that's a great point. Um, man, there's so much to cover about your story. I guess just read the book <laughs> to get all the details, but... Long story short, right? You go through this process. Um, you want to get back on a team. You want to deploy again. You want to keep doing. It. And I know I've heard you talk about it. So you weren't married at the time, but you were dating your my current your wife. now wife, right? Yeah. And I think you had a very hard conversation with her. Like, this is something I've got to do, and it's going to be all consuming for a while. Yeah. And can you just talk through that? Um, how that conversation went, and then. I guess grace or space is the right word that she, she gave you mm-hmm. and supported you through. Just talk through that whole process for us because yeah. I think it's kind of the, the unheard side of the story. I, I, love, I love this story um, because it's, it, it's, it's just an, a testament to the people around me and their impact on me that enabled me to get to where I am right now sitting across this table from yeah. you. I had just gotten out of Walter Reed. I moved in with her. Okay. Uh, her name's Tony. And I was there about two weeks or so. 
And at this point, even prior to me being discharged from Walter Reed, I'm already mapping out, you know, my game plan for when I get back to right. North Carolina, I get back to Bragg, to my unit. I mean, that's like to the minute. Like, here's here's how I currently live, which yep. is incredibly structured and dialed in. And here's how things are likely going to change for the good and for the bad. Mm-hmm. For the good, meaning additional assets, like our unit strength coaches, dietitians, sports psychs, yep. all these assets I can start to leverage. Um, but then also for the bad, because now there's going to be more distractions and more options. Right. When you're in Walter Reed, you're in a bubble. Yeah, There's nothing else really there other than just the physical therapy and the rehab sessions and the doc appointments. Like, you're in this contained bubble. Right. You go back to kind of, quote, normal life, and there's all the things. Yeah. There's the restaurants. There's Netflix. There's, like, all unlimited options on what you want to do, what you could do. So I got this thing dialed in, and I'm kind of fine-tuning it, and I'm, I'm getting ready to go, and I'm back home living with her for a couple of weeks. And I grab her, and I sit her down, and I'm like, hey, babe, uh, we need to have, a, like, a talk. And she's like, okay, what's up? And I'm like, this is what the rest of my life is going to look like, at least until I – I'm successful with this mm-hmm. mission that I'm on. Right. And it's dialed in, man. And actually I have, it, it's in the book. Yeah. Right? It's like to the minute of like how I would live highly structured. And I don't know how long it's going to take for me to complete this mission. Um, but I do know that I have to go all in mm-hmm. on it. I won't be able to live with myself. If I bail, if I find an alternative, if I give it 50%, I won't be able to live with myself. Yeah. And I understand if you don't want to be a part of this. Now, this is early on in a like, relate. This is d- during like yeah. the courting phase, right? right? With like the expensive dinners yeah. and the it's cologne. Been a few dates. Yeah. And, like, <laughs> you know, you're really putting this like best version of you forward. Right, yeah. right. Right. Which eventually may slowly kind of deteriorate. But this is where we're at in our relationship. Right. So I'm at like, I don't want to say rock bottom, but I'm in a whole different place than that mm-hmm. and i fully went into that conversation george thinking her to expecting her to say you know what like this sounds a little extreme for me i don't think i want to like get involved with this right now yeah you know i that, that was what my expected result and i could see our future mm-hmm. i knew that that what we had was real i could see the kids and the dogs and the white picket fence and like the things yeah. we have now i could yeah. see it then i knew it was real but i also knew that I had to do this and I was mm. willing to sacrifice that beautiful potential future for this, mm. which was really hard to do. Yeah. Really hard to do. Yeah. And to your point, um, not only was she supportive of that, but she became my number one asset. She became my number one teammate. She Amazing. was on the ride with me. Um, and I just give her so much credit for having that foresight and that strength to make that unusual perhaps choice. And then what I love about this story particularly is because I look at the family we have now and I look at the amazing life I get to live and our amazing kids and just how many at different points over the last decade could it have just gone a whole nother direction? And these young, amazing studs that, that we have now. Yeah just wouldn't exist. And just what a tragedy would that be? Mm, You know, so I had to do what I had to do. And without her having that strength and resilience uh, to not only be alongside me, but support that wholeheartedly, these two amazing humans just wouldn't exist today. That's amazing. I think that also touches on the point, like you talk about in the book, where you've got to be willing to do what you need to do 
and put aside what you want to do. Mm-hmm. And I think your your wife, Tony, is a woman who's worthy of a lifetime. And you saw that when you saw that she was agreeing that you needed to do this. And she agreed with that mindset. And I, I think that's such an important thing that we have to find in our wives when we're looking for them. And, and you've clearly found it. So my question for that is, how much more did you excel because you knew you had somebody in your corner like her? It's it's tough to put a metric against it. Yeah. Right. You know, I want to say like times a million. Would be, <laughs> yeah. like the first number that came to mind. Yeah, yeah. I don't think you can quantify it. Yeah. Um, I don't think I could quantify it. I, what I do think, and, you know, I live in the world of possibility. Yeah. I do think that it would have been extremely unlikely for me to have been successful mm-hmm. and achieve that desired end state without her. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. You would have had a lot of what ifs to to constantly be battling, but we had we had a recent guest actually talking about how you know he had to make a pretty big life change and credits his wife with really you know giving him the strength he needed to to see it through. Mm-hmm. And he he talked about how the love of a good woman can make a good man great, you know, yeah, and it's such well a said. beautiful thing that you know a strong marriage at this time not married, but when you're working towards that and you see the future and you see the picket fence and kids and yeah. dogs. Um, it it like unlocks something in us as men. It, we aspire to be more than we ever were before. It's like a total wake up call. Like mm-hmm. I've got extra responsibilities now, you know. And um, you know, I think that's why like to downplay the differences between men and women is such a disservice to mm-hmm. both to to marriage to kids, and we see it happening all through our culture. Sure. But you're an example of where you were certain she was going to say, "Ah, that's too much. No way." I'm not not on board. Yeah. And instead she did the exact opposite. And now look at look at everything that both of you have gained because both of you are willing to put skin in the game, you yeah. know. Like what what a great example. Um I want to move just a little bit past the whole recovery process. Let, let's summarize real quick. You you go through a huge process. You had to get like special testing to prove you could perform as a Green Beret in an in a ODA capacity, not just like serving in staff. Mm-hmm. Go through all these tests, you make it through. Um, I know you had a question about like how much cover from the top or how much how much of a risk did your chain of command take? Mm. Maybe ask that one. Yeah. So with with you, you are wanting to question because these people were close to you, whether they were doing it almost out of like a um, a brother, you know, they're trying to like help obligation. You. Yeah, like an obligation. Like so you were saying, look, I don't want that. I want you to hold me accountable. I want to be somebody who is valuable, who's an actual asset out there. Right. And so. One of the things that you talked about um, was uh, Jimmy two times, right? oh, your yeah. mentor. Uh-huh. And so how much of an impact did Jimmy have as a mentor for you um, in your recovery process and in your, your acceptance process of becoming a Green Beret again? And then eventually here in a little while, we'll talk about how maybe that um, was applied towards your fatherhood and towards your, your life outside yeah, of. Jimmy, who I just talked to a couple of days ago, um, the short answer, Brandon, to the question is he's, he's still an influence on me, you know, yeah. today. So going on beyond a decade at yeah. this point. Wow. You know, when I eventually had the realization that I was going back to a team, and this is as I was going through this proving myself mm-hmm. process, I was like four or five evaluations in. Okay. Up to that point, I was fueled off of, I need to do this for me. This is who I am. This is what I right. do competitiveness, stubbornness, prove the naysayers wrong, prove myself right, Right. passion. This is what it was. And then I woke up in the middle of the night in a panic because I realized I was going back to a team and I hadn't thought of these guys. Even though they were physically around me, 
daily. Right. And for one, I felt an enormous wave of guilt. I felt just like a horrible person that I hadn't thought about them yet. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I am such a piece of shit. And this, (laughs) I got to fix this now going to work and I'm talking to the guys, uh, you know, at this point I'm working as an, as an instructor and they're on the team, but we're in the same area, you know, we're in the gym doing stuff. And I grab these guys. I'm like, dude, first off, I'm, I apologize because I've been so narrowly focused on this highly emotional for me that I haven't even seen it through this perspective, which is unfortunate. Um, they of course accepted my apology and they're like, dude, and I said, guys, like, I need, have you guys talked about this? Where, where, what's your perspective mm, on this? Sure. And they all kind of gave me the same answer. And it was, do we've talked about this dozens of times. The answer is we don't know if this is going to work, but we want to be the ones to find out. Right. And I was that's like, brotherhood right there. It is. Yeah. And that's also why I was questioning them. Mm-hmm. To your yeah. point. I'm like, yeah, but like, is this just out of a place of love? Cause yeah. you love me and you want to see me happy. Right. Are you thinking through this analytically, tactically? Mm. Have you really gone through this at all? Or is it just, you're my boy, we love you, keep going? Right. So I questioned their um, their opinions on it. Sure. And eventually I had a conversation with Jimmy. And just the, the timing of it, which is also just a huge factor in a lot of things in life, is just yeah, timing. Man. And, you know, Jimmy was working as also as an instructor in the same company that I was in and he was set to go take my former team mm. as the team sergeant, which is the, the senior enlisted leader. Right. Um, and he grabbed me and he saw I was having a rough day. It was that day. And he just happened to walk by my office and looked at my face, saw that something was up, walked in, closed the door behind him. He was like, what's up with you? And of course I'm like, no, nah, nah, I'm good. He's like, no, you're not good. <laughs> Sit down. And right. what's this, what's going on? And I just yeah. fully like opened up pretty it's- emotional conversation and when he gave me the response, that was almost the exact same as the guys, only he added, you know that my first obligation is to the team. Mm, right. That's it. And this was his going to be his second run as a team sergeant. That's why we call him Jimmy two times. That is incredibly yeah, uncommon. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah. that's rare. It's rare. Yeah. So he'd already, he already lived the team sergeant life in extreme conditions. He knows exactly mm-hmm. what he's getting himself back into and what we're about to go into as a team that little extra layer of respect towards him mm-hmm. and his awareness of, of the importance of the ODA as a, as a unit yep. was the differentiator for me. Yeah. And I was like, all right, man, if it's coming from you, it's coming from my boys who I love and respect. It's coming from Jimmy. Sure. It gave it just, just of enough of an yeah. extra bump for me to be like, Roger that. But there's two be- really beautiful things about that. One, you had the emotional intelligence to step back and say, okay, I've been too hyper-focused. And you started checking yourself. And then, two, he had the leadership ability and the capacity to say, hey, look, I can tell he's in a, a distressed area. Let's let's solve that. Like, yeah. Let's pull him in. Let's get this addressed. Let's have the hard conversation and then move forward, right? And so I, I think that's something that I've seen with a lot of the military guys is it's beautiful to see that leadership is such a strong quality in what you guys have. And so – um, I know we'll talk about it here in a little while. I know he's got some things to say, but I, I just wanted to point that out because it's it's a beautiful thing to see mm-hmm. leadership so naturally um, expressed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Well, I was going to say you responded with vulnerability, right? right. He, he pushed to try and get to the heart of the issue, and you allowed vulnerability to open up, yeah. and it became a weapon, mm-hmm. right? That that ended up being the I don't know validation is the right word, but it was the reassurance that no, my my mission is sound. And everyone is on board with what I'm trying to accomplish, and they understand the risks, and they're willing to accept it. Mm-hmm. And so, um, 
you wouldn't have got there if you wouldn't have opened up, right? You could have played the game and had yeah. the tough guy routine going sure. on and yep. you may not have made it, right? Correct. So who knows? But mm-hmm. long story short, you do make it. You get through all the evaluations. They say, yes, you're, you're greenlit. Be back on a team. Mm-hmm. You make multiple deployments, yep. right? And so you are the first Green Beret with an above-the-knee amputation to deploy on an operational detachment alpha mm-hmm. to combat multiple Correct. times, right? Correct. So pretty impressive feat. So let's wrap up Army stuff. Cool. I want to – the final um, – point from all of that experience before we talk let's talk nick the father and nick the husband um obviously your experience is very unique very extreme you know by i I think in the book you talked about like you know this the odds of you surviving were so astronomically low you were quite literally the exception to the rule right Right. um but you firmly believe that like i don't need to have my leg blown off to learn the lessons that you've learned i Fact. can i can take this discipline i can embrace these lessons and start applying them in real time to have the exact same impact in my own life or whoever's listening so can you expand upon that and just really drive that home because i think so many people they're looking for some some big event or some big savior type you know existential experience mm-hmm. to to save them from their life and really it's even in your experience it could have gone the exact opposite way. You could have fallen to despair. You could have just been like, oh, woe is me. And you did specific things on a daily basis that got you out of where you were. Yeah, it's a great point. And you can you can use this throughout, I would say, any sector or aspect of life, you know, financially. Yep. Are there those once in a lifetime, oh my gosh, moments that just this catapult of returns? Does mm-hmm. it happen? Yeah, it happens. More often than not, it's a slow grind. Yeah. It's a slow grind. Um, we'll use social media. It's a great example. It's in most people's lives. Most want that like viral sure. post that springboards them from like 10 to like a million. Yeah. If I just get the one perfect thing, the perfect caption, the perfect video. and <laughs> Does that happen? Sure, sure. it does. Yeah, it's lightning in the a bottle. Yeah. It's just the grind. Yep. That's it. That That's how it gets built over time. But in today's world where we're becoming more and more conditioned to immediate satisfaction yep. based off of the efficiencies that we continue to build where it's like, I want a cheeseburger. Click. It shows up 20 minutes later, yeah. which is still amazing to me that we have that. <laughs> yeah. we're, th- this is but inevitable. It's a, a double edged sword. I call it's, it the it's an inevitable society. evolution yeah. of humanity that we build efficiencies. We become reliant on them. We become conditioned and we just keep going and going and going and going. Yep. You can fight it all day long. It's not slowing down. It's only going to keep that's getting right. faster and yep. bigger and keep moving. With me, it's 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 the it's really the same. It's the same thing, and it is not as if when I was in the hospital, some scientist came walking into my room mm-hmm. like Neo in the Matrix and rammed a metal spike into my head and uploaded work ethic, right. and discipline, and <laughs> sacrifice. That yep. all those things were already there. Yeah, yeah. and were, were were those character traits? already part of my lifestyle at that point? Absolutely. Sure. And because I have many accolades that I can look at to say they require discipline and dedication and commitment and all these things, resilience. Right. So they were there as they are for us all, regardless of how often and to what degree we choose to wield these tools, but Mm -hmm. they're there now. I just simply, this was the catalyst for me to take all those things and put them into turbo drive and and accelerate them, pour gasoline on all of them. Yep. Because I knew I had to. I was trying to accomplish something unprecedented that was going to be really, really hard. And again, I didn't give myself an alternative option. This is it. Right. So truly go all in, like burn the boats. Like that's it. This is it. Everything's got to go way up, but the 
capacity, the capacity to accelerate those things is all just in my mind as it is with all of us. Yeah. These are just simple. They're simple. It's not easy. They're not easy choices, but it is simple. Right. This is incredibly simple. There's nothing complex about this. It is simple. It's not easy. It's going to be difficult, but this is a very simple, this book right here. Yeah. This is as simple as it gets, man. Read it in one day. That's it. This is not (laughs) rocket science. This is basic, simple framework. Yep. And it is cultivated through nothing more than a series of choices executed daily. Yeah. That's it. And, you know, I'm just like, I'm at a point where I'm so frustrated with just men in our country in general because it's just all, it's the blame game. It's someone else's fault. And I'm like, man, you're making the daily choice to make something else in control of you. Are there variables you can't control? Absolutely. We all have our own crap. We all have stuff from our past. We all have stuff in our future that's we're worried about or whatever. I mean, it's it's the same picture for everyone. It's just different circumstances, sure. right? Yeah. Um, and I'm not to, not to diminish people who've been through very difficult things either. That's not the point of what I'm saying. But like every man has to. So if you're listening to this and maybe something's hitting, you have to make the choice for yourself to decide today enough's enough. I am going to move towards my purpose or my whatever, pick the word, mission, purpose, goal, objective. And you have to make that choice daily. And people are going to try and naysay you. I'm sure you had people tell you, you're crazy, Nick. No way. There's no way you can do this. Uh, think about your health and blah, blah, blah. Like right. if you really believe it's what you need to do or you're put on this earth to do it, then nothing should deter you from that. And I think so many men get so scared of all this other stuff that has nothing to do with them anyway. And they, they, they back up. Mm-hmm. They make excuses. Oh, well, it's this or, you know, I just couldn't because of that. BS, man. Step up. And like, and I'm not saying this like I'm some alpha, you know, amazing human being or whatever. But like my life has improved significantly from embracing some of these principles. Just no, no more excuses. What can I do? Daily action and living it. And it just gets easier over time. Like, like you talk about discipline in terms of especially like diet, right? We want this thing. You want the pizza. You want the ice cream. Sure. And, but until you want the body more than the fancy food or whatever – Eventually it shifts and, and it becomes your new want now is a need. It, it's a must have. And so like, guys, listen to Nick's story. You don't have to be a Green Beret. You don't have to this crazy background or any of that kind of stuff. Go take action yeah. today. So if you hear nothing else from his book and his story, that's it. Like we all have that choice. And every man who steps up to lead his family, his company, whatever, that's all it is. Mm-hmm. It's just being a little bit better every day. So I, w- I really want to hit that one because, man, Great that, point, that, man. Well that hit me so good. Let's move to fatherhood, man. I know um, – so you did all these things prior to being a dad, but you had that vision. This is what I want for my life. Um, obviously, your wife, Tony, was a huge support through you through this amazing process. Let's start with um, kind of a high-level question. Just what was becoming a father like for you that – all the emotion and all that kind of stuff? And did anything shift in you? Because you'd already been through so much, right? So I think a lot of people are like, oh, I doubt it. But just talk to me about your mindset there. Uh, I'll use this. I'll use it cautiously, but I'd say everything shifted. (laughs) Um, And I I put a picture in in the book, and it's it's the picture of the day my oldest Dom was born. And it's just me holding him, Mm. you know, and like he gets ripped out of Tony and they're like getting them all together. And then they got to like get him into like another room to like deal with something he had going on. Nothing, nothing crazy. So they're like sewing her back up and I'm like losing my mind. I'm a new dad. I'm like going crazy. And like some of the nurses and docs are like, there's a six foot six, 230 pound (laughs) maniac, one legged guy losing (laughs) his mind. I was really excited. 
Yeah. Um, <laughs> so eventually I get a hold of him and I'm, and I'm holding him and one of the nurses took the picture and it's literally he and I are just, are, are just eye to eye and it's this little slug yeah. you know, like wrapped up like a glow worm yep. and I'm just staring at him and we're locking eyes and I use that photo because it's just so impactful to me because in that exact moment, boom, my priorities mm. just Shit. everything got jumbled around yeah. and all of a sudden it was like this dude, number one and Tony somewhere right there. Yeah. But like I'm holding him and he's like the catalyst moment. I'm like, wow. All of a sudden, every single thing I thought was the most important thing to me in this world all of a sudden doesn't matter to me at all right now. Yep. Now, do those things matter? Of course they do. Sure, sure. But my priorities in that moment began, just got flipped upside down. And it's something you hear a lot when you're assumed to be dad or parents mm-hmm. from those that you have around you that are parents. It's going to change your life and it's amazing. You hear all that. And even when it comes from people you respect, it's like, yeah, okay, cool. And then you live it and you're like, oh, yeah, my, you know, my father, for example, like he wasn't kidding. This is true. <laughs> yeah. So um, it, was a, it was a pretty big prioritization adjustment for me. Yeah. Um, where even, even when it was me and Tony, when she became into my life, it was, it was still very much like operator lifestyle and then like a gap of not much. And mm. then like everything else just kind of ran. Like that was it. That's all mm. I wanted to do. And that was, that was a huge part of who I was. And then you introduce this little dude in the world and it's like, things are, things are going to change. Yeah. Um, which, which they did. And then just to kind of put a bow on it, deploying as a father w- was a pretty big shift too. Yeah. You know, so when he was six months was the next time I went forward. Dang. Oh, wow. So pretty he's quick. six months. I went forward. Tony went forward. She's also active duty. Yeah. So her and I both go at the same time and, He's with my mother-in-law, amazing wow. human, was able to relocate and, and take care of him. So wow. I have a six-month-old, and now her and me are both full of two separate AOs working. And it's – when you're when you're going on mission and you're going on target and it's time to go to work, it's 100% focus on that. Yeah, it has to be. That's it. Yeah. yeah. Right? Like that, 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 that's part of the job. It's hard, it can be hard to do. Yeah. You're like complete and total block out. This is it. Boom. All that matters is right here. But – in the times in between that, you know, when, when you're, you're going through your train up, you're training, this is while I'm forward, you're training your partner for yeah. us, you're yeah. training internally, you're getting, you're doing your rehearsals, you're doing mission planning, you do all these things that we do before we go to work. That was where I saw my son as a, as a tool for me to take advantage of because when I'm on mission, I'm on mission, but I can leverage him and my need to get back to him towards the attention to detail now mm. as we are prepping to That's go powerful. on target, right? When I'm on yeah. target, I'm not thinking about my son at all, at all. Yeah, you can't. Prior to, not only can he be there, but for me, he needed to be there. Yeah. Because it was every single one of these details matter because I'm going home to that kid. Yeah, I like That's that, so man. Good. It's, a, it's a very honing uh, pressure, right? And so I like that too because I think a lot of us, you know, have to travel for work or you're away from your family for a lot of reasons. Um the natural tendency is to just fall into like, well, I miss them a lot, right? you know? And that's, it's almost a useless emotion. It's real because you love them like with every fiber of your being. But I love what you just said, cause you can weaponize it and, and make, and take that, that fierce love you have for your family and then make pour it into your, your work, right? Mm-hmm. Whether it's military or you're an over the road trucker or whatever it is, yep. I got to get home to my family. So right. that's a, that's an amazing distinction. Thank you for sharing that. Um, your oldest is six now, he right? Is. Obviously, they see the leg. 
Oh, yeah. How much yet have you talked to, you know, I mean, they know Daddy's a Green Beret mm-hmm. to some extent, right? They don't really know all the details, I'm sure. But how much or little have you talked about that? Because it's kind of a unique challenge for you to, to kind of mm-hmm. explain to them what happened without, you know, shattering their innocence. But Yeah. My wife and I, when Dom was about three-ish and began asking questions, you know, her and I sat down and at one point we were like, how, you know, how do you want to handle this? Do we want to make this like fluffy mm. or do we just want to tell them the truth? And her and I were both like, let's, let's just tell them the truth. Yeah. You know, and that's it. Awesome. Like, okay, cool. Roger that. So, you know, right from, hey, you know, daddy's a soldier and, you know, I, what I do is to protect America and you kind of, you know, you play yeah, into sure that a little bit yeah. to try to reach the mind of a three-year-old. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, you know, I got hurt. I got hurt at work, you know, and, and a bad guy shot. Mm. Shot daddy. Okay. And that's that's part of that's part of my job. Um, but look, I got a new one and I'm good to go. And that's really been kind yeah. of the synopsis of it. That's and good. as he's gotten older, he's asked more and more questions and I give him more more information to play around with. So he fully knows the what happened. Um he knows enough to know that daddy's a soldier. Um he protects me and mom and the country. Yeah. He knows that when I go to work, there's a chance that I can be hurt, that I was by the hand of a bad guy, but that I'm not only okay, but I'm potentially better than I would have been. Yeah. And like I can work, he sees me able to work through that. Yeah. And now he's, you know, he's six going on seven. He'll be seven in April. He almost cannot wait to share this with his friends. <laughs> That's cool. So like I go to his school. I just recently did like a daddy and donuts day. Yeah. yeah, you know, yeah. Just yeah. go hang out okay. in the cafeteria and I walk in and even me as a two legged guy, I, would typically get some looks. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I, I don't exactly blend, I guess we could put yeah, it. Yeah, you're, you're just slightly larger than me. Yeah. Bald head, tattoos, slightly larger than average size. Got it. And then you add the robot leg, and it's like, what is going on right now? So I'm walking into his cafeteria, and like the whole place stops. <laughs> and it's like, it's not only the kids, but also yeah. the, some of the parents. Like, sure. What is this? Yeah. What's, what's happening right now? <laughs> you know, which isn't anything new to me. And But my son, Dom, when we were doing it the first time, um, he was almost like, you know, and I even prepped them. I'm like, bro, we're, we're going to walk in. People are going to look at people look at daddy. Daddy looks different. I'm different, 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 not only okay, but it's also going to be incredibly valuable. And mm-hmm. just these chances to kind of explain some of this stuff. But yeah. even with that prep, when it hit him, he was kind of like almost in a state of shock. Right. And then we get settled. And soon enough, some of his buddies are coming over and saying, what happened to your leg? What happened to your leg? And <laughs> Dom immediately was, you know, hey, my dad's a soldier. He got shot by a bad guy, but he's okay. That's and great. it's just like that, that right there is, is yeah. what we're hoping for, right. that level of transparency. And he's, he gets it, and he's not only that, but he's proud of it, yeah. which I think is pretty cool. Well, and, and one important point here is that it teaches resiliency to your child. Like it, you're modeling resiliency because, yeah, your, your leg's lost, but, hey, it's just a leg, right, to you. And you, you, you bounce back, right, mm-hmm. and you're showing that in real life. And so one of the questions that ties in perfectly this um, is, you know, what um, traits or skill sets did you have um, that you got from the military experience that you translate to your that you want to translate to your children? Oh my gosh, this is such a good question. You hit one already. Um, possibly the top is is resilience. I'm not sure that there's anyone out there that's reached a degree of success, regardless of how you want to define that term, without a degree of resilience. Yeah, yeah. assuming degree. earning is in the term of definition of success or yeah. achievement, right, is in the term of success, then resilience is a 
is a requirement yes yeah to a degree and you yeah. can scale that depending on a variety but i i think it's a constant you need to have that so yeah. i see this as an opportunity daily to live that right and you know kids listen but they watch yep. and they yes. absorb yeah it's it's what they see and yeah. what they feel more so than what you what you say to them right so i have the chance to show my kids this what you just described yeah Every single day, and they get a chance. They get a chance to see and feel the the challenges that come right. with that. You know, there are days where, I'm, where I'll go twelve, fourteen hours upright, and I'll get home and I'll I'll be mm-hmm. hobbling a little bit. Yeah, you know, yeah. my residual limb, my stump, will be beat up, and I'll be a little sore. And yeah. so he'll notice that. He'll be like, "Daddy, you're walking funny." I'll be like, "Yeah, you know, my legs are a little beat up, man." Yeah, I'm gonna take my leg off and get into my wheelchair. Yeah, which in itself requires a degree of humility. Yeah, Again, that 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 alone took me yeah. months to get to that point. Even at the hospital, I refused mm. to be in a wheelchair. Yeah, and and you you made such a cool way of previewing it there, which was you weaponized humility and you weaponized gratitude. So can we dive into that a little bit too? Since those are things that clearly you're going to teach your kids. Yeah, gratitude may be may be the magic bullet, the special sauce that we're all looking for. <laughs> yeah, we all want that one thing, right? Oftentimes to the point where how how I get that right, a lot. Right, right. I teach that, and we have clients, and we work it, and we we advise on that. Um. In today's world, you mention you respond to that with, let's say, discipline, and you'll get many eye rolls. Like, oh, someone else is going to talk to me about discipline, even yeah. though it's a foundational requirement. Yep. We want the thing now, and while it almost certainly isn't a thing, gratitude may be as close as we have to that special, yeah, that special, would, yeah, that special sauce. I practice it daily because what makes it powerful, in my opinion, is not the ability to deploy it when things are going right. Like when wrong. we're winning, mm-hmm. you know, it's easy to be grateful. You hit the game winning shot, yeah. buzzer beater, press <laughs> is going crazy. And sure. I want to thank God and my teammates and my family. It's easy to do that then. And that's a yeah. great thing to sustain. Let's keep that. Sure. What I'm suggesting is the power of gratitude comes when you can deploy it and you can wield it when things are going bad, like when things are going wrong, yeah. Yeah. when you're losing and you're failing and it seems like the wheels are falling off and you're able to deploy gratitude then. That's the secret power of yeah. gratitude. Because yep. not only can you be appreciative of what you do have in those hard times, which requires focus yep. and mindfulness, these other tools that many of us want to just blow off. Yeah, the wheels are coming off. I keep getting it wrong. But look at what I do have right now. Yeah. There's that, but there's also the appreciation for the lesson that is about to be learned as a result of things going wrong, yep. as a result of, yeah. of failure. That's the power of gratitude. Yeah. Virtually every guest we've had on this show has in some way or shape or way said almost the exact same thing. It's where true, man. You can be grateful for the bad things that have happened to you, even if they're super messed up, right? We've, we've heard some real trauma on this show. And when you're able to even be grateful for – like for you, right? Look at all the lessons and lear- you've learned from this horrible thing that happened to you yeah. and, the, and the man that you've become – on the back end of it, and now you get to pay it forward, sharing your story, yeah. right? What a powerful tool! So yeah, I agree with you. It might be the magic bullet. Might that be. might be the most effective thing. Yeah, but it might be beautiful uh, example. So let's get a little bit more fatherhood stuff. Um, I guess you already kind of answered this with like building family culture with how to handle hard things. But what what other things do you do to build family culture and kind of instill in your sons to where when they go out into the world as they age? Laveries are this, laveries do this, and they don't, they won't bend to external pressure because their identity rests in their dad and their mom and what the family exists to do. Yeah, a, a lot of things come to mind. Um, 
I say being a man of your word uh, comes to mind mm. first when, when you when you mention that when you ask that, and today's world perhaps that is not quite as valued as it once was. Yeah, when you sign your name on a piece of paper, or you look someone else in the eye and you shake their hand and you say you make a commitment. Yeah, there was a time when that was essentially ironclad. Yeah. Because your reputation and who you were was what carried you and what get, garnered you support of people around you was part of your survival. Really. You had you, you had to uphold that. Yeah. Because if you reneged on something or if you didn't follow through, you may have just lost some support that could literally keep you alive if you go like all the way back. And today is again technologies and efficiencies. Mm-hmm. We are not nearly as reliant on our neighbors and even those we associate yeah. with as we were. Like I don't the world's gotten really small. Yeah. So, uh, but for some of us, that still means something. And, you know, one of the lessons that my wife and I are currently instilling in our both our boys is when you say you're going to do something, you do it. Yep. And odds are, at the time of you saying it, I'm going to clean my room when I get home from school. At the time of saying it, it's, it's easy. Yep. Yeah. Because it's in the future. And then guess what? It, the future becomes the now, and you probably don't want to do it. Or yeah. you might not want to do it. Right. But you, you, but you need to do it because mm-hmm. you said you would. Um, that's one of, the, I think, the principles that yeah. I would consider to be a success as a father if my son walked away with just that. Okay. Being a man of his word, um, I, would, I would consider that a win. And that's one where, as dads, we, we, you got to walk the walk on that one because, like, yeah. you know, your kids will ask you to do something or they want to go to the – and if you make that commitment to them and you break it mm-hmm. and you shatter trust in a way – and it could be small little things. Yeah. And that's something I've had to check myself on a lot is when you're tired, you're stressed or whatever's going on, there's, there's probably more productive quote unquote things you should be putting your attention to, or you feel like you should, mm-hmm. and your kid asks you to do this little thing with them, take the five minutes and do it, man, because you're, if you break that trust, you, you keep ingraining disappointment in them. They're not going to come back to you. Yeah. It's, it's particularly challenging for those of us with ambition. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. These lofty dreams that. I, you know, I got one shot at this life. This isn't a dress rehearsal. I'm going all in. Right. Whatever that looks like to a person is going to require an enormous amount of time, energy, effort, money, all the investments yep. and costs. And when you got kids, um, how easy is it for us to just give them the crumbs? Right. How easy is yeah. it? It's so easy. And it's easy for us to justify and sometimes understandably so. Right. I'm doing this for them. Yeah. I get it. You know, you're going to work 18, 20 hours a day to the bone to provide. And it's a difficult balance. I'll use the word balance. Mm-hmm. It's a difficult line to try to walk. Yeah. Um, because if you can provide and have all the things, whatever it is, but if you're doing that, the result of sacrificing your entire relationship with them, who's molding the minds? You may be putting food on the table and a roof over the head and, and keeping the electricity yeah. on, which I know is hot. And I've been in that survival paycheck to paycheck, grind it out mode many mm-hmm. times in my life. I get it. I've been there. Who's cultivating these minds? Right. And what is their interpretation of you? And is it really, can you blame them when you say, go do this? And they're like, no, like, I don't even know you, yeah. you know? Yeah. So are you giving them the crumbs or are you, are you paying that first? And then everything else becomes a secondary priority. Yeah. And this is a difficult question to ask. Yep. More difficult to answer. And it's the one every man has to answer. Yeah. That's what makes that. And if, that's and if you, what makes and it if so you hot. don't, it's extremely costly. And I think a lot of guys figured out way too late. 
Yeah, I was going to say, one thing you can't do is outsource your presence, right? You can't. That's the one thing in your life. You can outsource a ton of stuff, mm-hmm. even in education and stuff, but you can't outsource you. Right. You know, you have to be the one. And one of the things I tell my kids is your words have to match your actions. Fact. And your your um, your thoughts have to match those words as well. So, like, you've got to have all three aspects. So thoughts, words, actions, all of them have to match. And one of the things I say is daddy always keeps his promises. Mm. And my kids know that. They're like, dad, you promised. And, like, they'll call me on it. They'll say, <laughs> you promised and you always keep your promise. I'm like, you're right. Let's mm-hmm. go do it. There's and that so, humility again. Yeah, and that, yeah. that's a call of keeping me accountable too, you yeah. know, like – and I let them. I, I have a, a healthy enough relationship with them where they can call me out on my stuff and say, hey, Dad, you promised. And I'll say, absolutely, let's go do it. Mm-hmm. And I, I show that humility. Say, all right, whatever I was doing, it's not as important as this because you get now and you, you're not promised tomorrow, right? So, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a big priority for sure. I, I got this from my mother, uh, and I'm sure this wasn't an original thought from her. This isn't a dig at my mother, amazing human. But she says um, – how do kids spell love? T-I-M-E. And yeah. obviously, it's a, I guess it's yeah. more well-known. Yeah. But she hit me with that recently, probably six, eight months ago. Um, you know, hot in the paint. I'm still active duty. Yeah. yeah. Trying to build a company. Yeah, man. It just, you know, and in the gym, all, all the things, man. I live it. I get yeah. it. And at one point, I was probably getting a little too aggressive. And I'm fortunate to have amazing people around me that'll, that will be candid yeah. and hold me accountable. Yeah. And she's one of them. She's she's here. She's my youngest primary caretaker uh, during the days. And at one point, I walked in and and uh, in a very motherly, loving way, said that. How do kids spell wow. love? T I M E. And I just that's all she needed to say. And she like walked off. And I was like, Roger that. Yeah. <laughs> that was it. I get Roger it. Roger that. I get it. That's <laughs> awesome. Yeah, I mean, that raises a good point too. Like you know, I think a lot of people look at people out there getting after it and you know they're successful in all these different arenas of life and they think that they just got there on their own like what you just described is exactly mm-hmm. what we try and harp on a lot here is you can't do it alone mm-hmm. like so many of us try to, to just shoulder the weight of life on our own it's like you have to surround yourself with other people like what you just said sometimes it's that hard conversation the hard thing you need to hear other times it's the the motivation or the, the shoulder to cry on type yeah. of thing. But like going into life solo, not going to, it may work for a while, but you're going to crumple at some point. Yeah, so you will, you will lose the war. Oh yeah. <clears throat> yeah. yeah. You may win some battles yeah. with this lone wolf self-made ideology. Yeah. Uh, you may win some battles. You, you will lose yeah. the war and you're going to lose to the person or the organization that has the humility and the forward thinking yeah. to recognize their gaps. So a degree of self-awareness, yeah, brutal honesty, yeah. and then go out and find assets, mm-hmm. team members, community members, a tribe to surround themselves with to fill these voids, to fill these weaknesses, to That's build right. you up, and to leverage and rely on. That's right. That's who wins. Yep. I think we have time for like two more questions. So I'll ask uh, one, and then you can ask them the, the one we ask every guest. Um, so if you only had one piece of advice to give fathers, what would it be? You know what? I'll go with this, man, because we were just talking about kind of the work-life balance, ambition versus love and T-I-M-E. I feel like it's connected, and I truly believe this. And I learned this lesson from uh, Hal Moore. He retired as Brigadier General Hal Moore. He was Lieutenant Colonel Hal Moore in Vietnam. The movie We Were Soldiers, played by Mel Gibson, plays Colonel Hal Moore. And an amazing... Uh, warrior, amazing soldier, amazing yeah. leader, and also husband and father to, I believe, five 
young kids. I think so. He was. I think he was Catholic. I think. Right? Yep. Oh yeah. yeah. Very very, yeah. very religious. Very Catholic. And he was asked at one point, "How do you balance being a good soldier and a good family man?" And his response, which I think, which I think was brilliant, was, "I'd like to think that being good at the one makes me better at the other." And I think that's incredibly profound, and I agree 100%. And it yeah. took me a while to see that as the two-way road that it is. And here's why it's tied to yeah. ambition and professional lives and go get after itness with our desires and dreams while having a family that's depending on us and that we love at the same time. Mm-hmm. Hal's point, Colonel Moore's point, General Moore's point, is that one can leverage the other if you choose to. Yeah. And for me, it was it was pretty easy for me to see how the character traits – and personality traits and attributes of being a good soldier could be relayed to my family. Certainly. Discipline, work ethic, structure, commitment, all these things. Well, if I apply them to my family, it's going to make me a better husband and father. Yeah. That was pretty simple for me to figure out. What was more difficult for me to figure out was the other way. And you think mm-hmm. about some of the character traits, personality traits, attributes of being a good husband and father. And it's things like compassion, yep. mm-hmm. patience, empathy these like squishy mm-hmm. emotions that mm-hmm. most of us type A's want to run from. Right. Cause it's making me uncomfortable. Yep. <laughs> I don't want to talk about, I don't want to talk about compassion. I want to talk about my max effort deadlift. Right. Right. Yeah. Or my shock group or like whatever the, exactly. whatever the thing is, which I get, I live in the same world. Yeah. When I was able to see that what my kids were teaching me and what my wife was teaching me to be a good husband and father and supporter and provider mm-hmm. for them, I could be deploying that inwardly towards my profession, yep. my, my professional ambitions, whether that's as a soldier or entrepreneur or what, both. Yeah. And that two-way road to Colonel Moore's point, General Moore's point, began to open up for me. So both provided opportunity to leverage against the other. My recommendation would be view your life's priorities and aspirations as ways to also enable the others. One okay. becomes a, one becomes a, a fuel point and a bed of resources, a tool bag, yeah. a toolkit yep. to deploy against the other. That's great. Um, I'll tell you, it's a, it, it was difficult to do it, especially in a hyper type a world, but even in team life with these savage maniacs getting after it, yeah, seeing them respond to some of these leadership traits and influence tactics and tools became undeniable. Yeah. This absolutely works. Yeah. And I am able to do this as a result of my need to be a good husband and father, them teaching me these different attributes and then deploying them the other direction. Yeah, man. Mm. I definitely... Yeah, you know, I, I finished company command recently, and I I think I was ten times the commander I would have been, uh, because I had a break in service and I was a husband and father for a while, and I got to learn a lot of those lessons you were talking about, and I was able to pour that back into army stuff where I would have been a closed minded, you know, mm-hmm. probably arrogant and cocky, won't listen to anyone type of guy yeah. if I wouldn't have had those experiences. So yeah. it's such a powerful tool to to make that two-way street. I yeah. love that example. And I, dude, I got to hammer this quickly. And we yeah, said it absolutely. a couple times, man. It, you can you can preach to the choir all day. If you don't live it by example, oh, yeah. forget about it. Yeah. Forget about it. It is easy for us to like, you know, get off the tablet and then you're on the phone two seconds later. Yeah. Right. And 
Pay attention to what you're doing because yeah. they are. And that is how you are molding their minds. Right. Are they listening? Possibly. Not. They are not absorbing nearly to the degree of what they are witnessing Watching. and feeling you do. Yep. Are you living the way that you want them to live? Yeah. If there is any single area in your life where that answer is no, you need to make the adjustment. I agree. You need to make the adjustment for you. Right? This is the extreme ownership. Like yes. You live what you want your kids to live. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's maybe that's the like the golden rule. Yeah. Yeah. And we want we want to we want to create these young, decent, hardworking, capable human beings as fathers. Awesome. Are you that? Yeah. And what areas are you are you failing that? Right. Or what areas are suboptimal for you? Yeah. That's that's the way to create that impact on that little dude. Yep. Yeah. Little. Intentionality is so crucial in my opinion. And you know, um one of the things that, that falls into that is protecting them. And so one of my questions was, you know, you're exceptional at assessing threats. So what is the threat that our children here stateside face and how can we protect them as fathers? The, big, the biggest threat? Yeah, yeah, the biggest threat. Like warrior mindset, does that help protect them? Like what, what do we do? I would say the biggest threat, um, and I'll caveat this by saying it's also an amazing opportunity, is something that we've mentioned already, and that's um, – Immediate satisfaction, yeah, yeah, and being conditioned to that just being the way it is. Mm-hmm. Um, probably, the, probably one of the greatest threats that comes to mind. We're, we're, these kids are being conditioned to I want something and I can get it now. Yeah, yeah. First off, we're the ones that built all this. Okay, <laughs> it's easy to look at the kid and say, "Get off your tablet." Yeah, or social media or whatever the thing, Xbox, whatever the thing. We created that. Yeah. We created the internet. We created so these kids, and, and likely we put it in front of them at some point. Yeah. So before yep. you want to back at these kids, whether they're yours or someone else, these kids these days, eh, they're all lazy. Yeah. yeah. We did that and handed it over to them. <laughs> right. This is normal for them. They don't know otherwise. So that's a great point. Turn that around. Look yourself in the mirror. Yeah. We we did it. Whether you invented the internet or not is irrelevant. Our yeah. generation, we're yeah. the ones. Okay, we created all we these. We popularized it. Yeah, we 100%. consumed it and made it what it is. We yep. created the tech. We created the efficiencies. We put it right in front of them. Yeah. So let's just let's pause for that on a second. Just t- take it easy on that for a second before we want to sure. hammer down on a 12-year-old who's on their phone all the time. Or yeah. All he wants to do is be on TikTok. It's like, yeah, we created it and we put it in front of them. Um, but as we get more and more conditioned as a society for immediate satisfaction just becoming more and more automated and more and more easy to yeah. access and become real – that's a very dangerous slope yeah. for anyone to go on because so moderation and, and putting space and time between things like keeping it like we're in a microwave society, like you said, and that's that's a, such a hard thing to un, un- ingrain in somebody that's born and, and raised in it. Right. And so, yeah, like with my kids, I try to draw them back. I'll be like, if you want tablet time, you have to do this. Like you have to read a book for 30 minutes and then you get 10 minutes of this. Sure. Or, you know, there's got to be something that moderates that where it also shows that, hey, hard work can give you relaxation and reward, but there's got to be, again, there's got to be a balance to it. Yeah. And that's such a delicate balance in my opinion. Yeah. Cause one of the, one of the, one of the problems with becoming more and more conditioned to, I want a thing and I can, I want it now mm-hmm. is most things worthwhile in life are going to take time to grind towards. Yes. Yep. And you start to lose out on the value of things like patience <laughs> and just work ethic. Yeah. If like, <sighs> if I can get the thing now, always patience ceases to exist. There's no, there's no right. need to be patient. Yeah, it's like a muscle for anything. Yeah, it just it atrophies and it's gone. Yeah. And if you lose that, patience is an absolute tool and a skill, and it, it it's a powerful one. 
So that's why I see that as a threat, but also inversely an amazing opportunity. I get a chance to spend time with young people quite regularly, which is personally my favorite target audience to spend time with. Yeah. Especially awesome. like yeah, you get to 12 to 17 the year olds. It's just so impressionable. Yeah. Yeah. Like, listen, here's kind of the, the standardized where we're at. Here are the trends, which opens up an opportunity for anyone that's choosing to do it. Because in my opinion, things like discipline, work ethic, resilience, sacrifice, these are not going away. But as they become less and less common, those that are able to instill those in themselves and deploy them, you will dominate your competition. You will dominate your peers. If you have just a fraction of some of these character Mm -hmm. traits and make them just part of how you live, I don't care what you want to do. You will steamroll everyone around you because the majority are... I want a thing. I get the thing now. I can't get it now. I don't want the thing anymore. Yeah. That's it. And yep. I'm on to the next thing that I can get immediately, as easily as humanly possible. You take the off the outlier that's like, okay, cool. I'm going to go against the grain. I'm going to dial in. I'm going to sacrifice all this stuff, and I'm going to work hard for the next 12 months to achieve this thing. Yeah. Opportunity continues to grow in droves right now for those that can yeah. see it that way. I heard a, I forget who said it or I read it somewhere. It said, it's never been easier to be exceptional. It's true, man. <laughs> yeah. It's like, yeah, what, what an opportunity. So yeah. yeah, dads, we have that chance to instill those values into our children and give them, I mean, that's the keys to the kingdom right there. Um, having that drive moving into this world. Final question, just a, a core memory when, when you, when, you know, someone asks you, what do you love most about being a dad? What's something that just really sticks out to you? The first thing that comes to mind is uh, like the pit a patter of feet when I get to the door. <laughs> yeah, you know, that's it's just it's it's what's hit, hitting me now as you ask that question. You know that they can they hear the garage door open as I as I come in, and as I get to the door, I hear the I hear the little feet scampering either yeah. towards the door or like scampering to go hide. You know, it's just this consistent uh, reminder and uh, amazing force that I have to, to leverage. And it's just how fortunate are we to be able to have these, you know, these young people in our lives to learn from and to um, really keep things in perspective, you know, like the perspective that they bring when business is going to shit and I'm having a horrible time at work and, you know, our budget's getting cut and like all these things. It's like, oh my gosh, I don't know what I'm doing. It's just like train wreck, dogs and cats are living together. And you walk in your house and there are this, these two humans like looking up, like dad's home. Let's like go build a fort. Yeah. It's like, you know what? Whatever, man. None of that stuff. Right. None of that stuff matters right now. This is what matters. Uh, and that's a gift that, that we get, that we get to live and we get to, to enjoy. Yeah. It's such a gift. Um, Nick, what's the best place for people to, to look you up and follow you, support what you're doing, get involved if they want some coaching or speaking and yeah. kind of stuff. Yeah. Talk, talk about the team machine. Yeah. Our website's kind of the one-stop shop. It's teammachine.com. Machine is M C H N. And that's got links to the socials okay. and to the book and merch and, you know, way to get a hold of me and the team and for whatever you may be interested in. All right. And once you retire, what's, what's the future look like for Nick? Is it all in on team machine or what's all in? Okay. Yeah. You know, a, a lot of people struggle with transition out of the military and understandably. So I've, I'm blessed to not only do I know what my next purpose is, but yeah. I have the opportunity to start kind of slowly nights and weekends 
building that out now. Yeah, that's so awesome. I'm eager to see what it looks like when you know when we drop the hammer. Yeah, man. That. Well, I thank you so much for sharing your wisdom and your story and your experience. Um, you know, dads, there's an absolute mountain of wisdom in this episode. So take Nick's story, apply it into your life. Action, action, action. It's not talking about it. It's doing it. Imperfect action is always better than trying to build the perfect plan. Well said. Thank you so much for your time sharing your story. It's been an absolute privilege. I appreciate it, man. Thank you. All right, dads, enough talk. We'll see you in the next episode. Oh, yeah. (laughs) All right, Brandon. So Nick has left the studio, just shared all of his wisdom with us, shared his story. Um, I'll I'll just start with like my initial thoughts yeah, from sure. kind of buzzing from from meeting uh, such an incredible guy, uh, and then I'd like you to share yours as well. But um, you know, it, and it's something that I've I've met with all the Green Braves I met is just their humility. Mm-hmm. Um, it's always really stuck out to me because my natural inclination is to be boisterous and like, oh, look at me, you know. And I think part of that is just you know it, it's kind of that false manhood type thing yeah. where you're, you're projecting, but. You know, with all of his accomplishments and everything he's done, he's just so humble, right? Nothing in him is, oh, look at me, look how amazing I am, blah, blah, blah. There was none of that projection. It's just calm, quiet confidence. And it's really convicting to me because it's like that's something I need to practice more in my life significantly more. Um, and, yeah, I mean, just the, from the second I met him, it, that was just true the whole time. Yeah. Just incredible. Well, I have to say that's the first time I've ever met a Viking, and <laughs> yeah. guys, so, uh, gargantuan. Yeah. He's, he's huge and and, and well built, man. And and I, I think for me, the big thing was he weaponizes things. Yeah, like puts it on offense. Good man. always comes from the bad. Um, gratitude is something you can weaponize. Humility is something you can weaponize. And Our so, own kids. Yeah, man. and like weaponize them as purpose. You can apply it across the board, and I thought that was incredible. Like to be able to 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 have the the forewithal to to to, ap- to apply all of that, mm-hmm. right? That's just it's it's an incredible thing. So I was I was very excited to talk to him about that. So yeah, I uh, when we first sat down in the studio here, my seat was like lowered all the way down. <laughs> I sat across the table from Nick, and I was like, "All right, this ain't gonna work. I'm gonna look like I'm five years old here." So for those just listening, Nick is like six four, six five, and just yeah. built like a freaking you know dump truck and uh i am five nine 175 pounds i'm very thin so uh it's it's a pretty comical pairing to have me across the table from from him but man uh you talk about presence that guy's definitely got it but mm-hmm. um yeah man the, the the weaponization of concepts and and things like that was such a great uh piece and my favorite like from the book and from the conversation uh takeaway is that you don't have to have these ridiculous experiences to put it into action. If you are humble enough and hungry enough, you can take someone's story like that. You can take those principles and put it into action in your own life. And yeah, maybe you'll have a little less drive than he had or a little less of that. But just moving in that direction is going to pay so many dividends into your life. And sure. you know, I think that's what we try and preach on this with every guest. Absolutely. Um, but that... That for me, from his personal story, I think you know naturally you want to be drawn to like, oh well, you know what an incredible overcoming of impossible odds, and yeah. you can do you can get all the same outcomes without any of that pain up front 
if you take his advice. Learn vicariously. <laughs> yes. That's, that's what I tell people yes. nonstop. And, you know, Jordan Peterson, he is the perfect example of what Jordan, Jordan Peterson talks about when he says you have to be an absolute monster. And then you've got to have it under control. And control it. He yeah. is the example of that. Like yeah. if I looked that up in the Jordan Peterson dictionary, <laughs> that guy's face would be right there, you know. Because yeah. like, my God, he's he's got, you know, one of the things that really stood out to me too was I've always had a growth mindset. Mm-hmm. He has a warrior mindset. Yeah. So he has not just the growth, but he has everything else encapsulated within that. In my opinion, warrior mindset is yeah, so, what so is, much better, right? What it's, does that mean to you then? Like so define like, the difference. He you know, because you can be, you can grow into anything, right? But being a warrior is accepting failure and just keep pushing until mm-hmm. you you find success and and having that, like he said, the resiliency and all those things that that encapsulate somebody who who can be a warrior. And so I think it's more important to be in the warrior mindset than the growth mindset. Now mm-hmm. he's he's literally changed my mind on on quite a few concepts because uh, I just see what it's what it does is when it's put into application, right? So yeah. Um, yeah, it, he is the perfect example of Jordan Peterson's monster under control, and I, mm-hmm. I loved it. It's 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 awesome to to see and experience other people like that and to learn from them. So it was a, it was a privilege. To your point about the mindsets, I actually think growth is a component of, of the, the warrior, warrior mindset yes. because, and if it, like I'm going to talk military stuff for a second here, but like if I'm a if, commander, team leader, whatever your echelon is of a unit your obligation is to make that unit as effective and efficient as possible to achieve the outcome. So by extension, growth must occur, right? Right. The guy who's weak at this must get better at it. Right. The dude who shoots bad on this thing must get better at it in order so that like, and so if you apply that to fatherhood, to business, to your personal finances, whatever, you can start reaping that fruit for yourself. And just coming from the self-help, like my growth mindset is so singular, you know, like you're mm. saying, it's multifaceted when mm-hmm. it's warrior. And so, like, I'm like, I'm sitting here looking at him. I, I got to upgrade myself, man. <laughs> Good, like, I man. Gotta, I got to start getting that that part going. Because, you know, you you need to be able to identify your weaknesses, and you need to be humble about it, and then you need to attack it. And so yeah. that's what I'm going to do. Well, and sure. that's where the brotherhood comes in of, you know, you and I have very differing strengths and weaknesses. And so that's why, you know, our friendship is such a great thing. Because I grow and stretch in ways where I'm weak. And you yeah. point out to me in a loving way, like, hey, brother, let me call you up to the standard in, in yeah. this area of your life. And I can do the same for you. And so, yeah, man, uh, what an incredible episode. Just, again, want to thank Nick and his whole team for making Absolutely. this a reality. Um, and to those listening, just one more time, take action. That's the whole point of what Nick is wanting you to do is not to glorify him and how amazing he is, but take his lessons, hard-earned lessons with blood, sweat, and tears, quite literally, and limbs, and actionize them, weaponize them. So any final thoughts, Brandon? No, that's it, man. Yeah, man. I had a great time. I'm excited to to look forward to, to more people like him with a warrior mindset because, yeah. wow. So hope you enjoyed this one. We got some big things coming. Stay tuned. Um, we're very excited for 2024. And uh, enough talk, dads. Let's get climbing that mountain together. We'll see you in the next one. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Present Fathers Podcast. Make sure that you subscribe to our YouTube channel and follow us on Spotify to catch all of our amazing episodes. We will see you in the next one.